What's up? It's Caroline with the As Always podcast. Welcome back or welcome if you are new. Um, This podcast is typically a Christian-focused everyday life with Jesus type conversation. Um, But today I get to talk about our Black Brothers and Sisters history um, because I'm in this really awesome class at school right now for the summer. Um, And we were given the opportunity to kind of make it creative and add in something that we love to expand the conversation. And I love that because this podcast is near and dear to my heart. Y'all know that. So I wanted to make an episode talking about these things because um, if you didn't listen to my Why Black History Month Matters podcast, go check that out too. But this is just something that is very near and dear to my heart because as someone who wants to go into ministry, I want to know how to be able to love all my brothers and sisters well. Um, And all the events and conversations that happened in 2020 when it comes to black Americans, like that's not going to stay in 2020. We're going to continue those conversations. We're going to continue educating ourselves. Um, And that's why I took this class. Um, I had the opportunity to take a summer class so I can, you know, keep my scholarships and go back to school in the fall. Um, And my advisor was like, take an easy class, you know, keep your GPA up. Um, take art 101. And I just didn't want to do that. I saw this class um, and I thought it was an amazing opportunity to just learn more about black history and what that actually looks like. So today I want to share with you guys a little bit about what I have learned um, so far that's really just not only struck my heart, but really just helped me reframe this idea of American history that we have, um, especially with how our black brothers and sisters are struggling today and what that looks like. Um, And just like the healing and the growth that needs to come, you know, with the 13th Amendment, the Emancipation Proclamation, like when those things happened, the struggle didn't end there. Um, There's a a lot of other ways and like the government and American people um, continue to try to make black people's lives harder and weren't trying to make them free. So there's just a couple things that I want to share with you guys today just to give you all a little bit like of true black history that you might not have learned about in school. I know for me, you know, I remember my history classes and what I learned. um, But there are some things that I think from a certain age, you may not be able to process as well. But I think now getting to learn this information has helped me um, understand and appreciate history more and be able to look at it now like okay well what is actually like the dialogue behind this like why did it happen this way you know what's going on here um never really been a huge history buff unless it was like about um let's just read my bible like my bible is the only thing I really considered studying very well and understanding um so love this class super thankful to be in it so let's kind of just start talking about what I've been learning recently so um one big thing, as we were just talking about the Civil War um, and this division between our country, that was something that I knew, but at the same time, didn't always have the full dialogue to think about. But it was just like black men fighting and black women fighting um, and serving our country during the Civil War. Um, when you look at photos like from the Civil War in your history books, there's not a lot of color in there, you know. We don't really think about um, the people who are fighting for freedom also being our like black people. We don't think about that. So seeing and knowing that like black women raised millions of dollars in their day, billions of dollars like in today's currency to go towards the Civil War, um, having our black brothers come back 
to America after being stationed in France and coming back, but still not having their freedom. You know, they went and fought for our country um, and then coming back and still being seen as lesser than. They were fighting alongside everyone else who is fighting in our military, but again, coming back and not having um, the same life, the same respect. They were still coming back to less than they were when they were fighting for us with our name, with our flag in another country. So that really struck my heart because if you think about it, if you're going overseas and fighting for your country and then you come back and your country denies you, like that in of itself um, shows that there was no equal sense um, of life. Like lives were lost, lives were given, um, but the lives were not respected when they came back home. So that was one of the first things that just like learning about that and having that conversation, having to put myself like in that position and being like, one of the things that's hard for me is like when I don't get credit for something that I did really good on. And that is like the absolute epitome of like not getting credit or not being recognized for fighting for the country that is oppressing you. Um, so I never really had that dialogue. I never really didn't like, no one really had that conversation with me or I never really thought about it. Um, cause it was just not really brought up to me in school. Um, another thing that I, hadn't really thought about on a government standpoint was just the federal government um, and they're undermining during reconstruction because I think we learn more about, you know, the in the streets tension and betrayal and lynching and all those things that we see in our history books, but we don't really hear about how the federal government played a part in oppressing black people because I don't know, we just don't. Um, for instance, learning about marriage laws and how marriage was redefined in America completely after the Civil War was very interesting um, to me. Not only was the federal government using marriage laws, to tr- they were trying to basically get political um, control of black people through marriage laws, which black people in return were able to use that to like gain their civil and political rights. So that was good. However... Um, the indoctrinating of marriage laws in place, like, you know, black people could not marry white people for a very, very long time. And even marriage within itself, like going to get married, you don't really know what you're stepping into because if you're stepping into all these laws, then the federal government has a hand in your marriage and in your life just because you want to be legally married. Um, and that's scary. You know, you just come out of freedom. You're technically a freed person, but then stepping into a legal obligation with someone in your family, you know, you're falling under all these federal laws um that can be changed and that the government can use to control your life and give you even more rules that you need to follow um so learning about how even the construction of family and marriage was shifted um in reconstruction because there were no longer slaves or no longer people serving you to run the household like all of that responsibility now falls on the marriage in the household and now follows on the man um, who is leading the household. Um, and that was just not really a thing beforehand. You know, you had slaves, you had servants, you had people who were serving you. And so the family dynamic, the marriage dynamic was so different. And so now these new marriage laws, like legally, the father, the husband, the wife, you know, they are the head, they are in charge, they're in charge of everything now. Um, So the federal government coming in and changing laws and changing these dynamics, like, puts even more pressure 
on black families, black marriages to do the same to where they gain those rights, but at the same time, again, are still under the oppression of the federal government and their rules and having to follow their rules. Um, so that whole shift in family dynamics and marriage during Reconstruction is, like, huge. Um, and just the mental picture I have continued to get learning about the Reconstruction period is, like, black people just having to tiptoe and figure out what lines they can cross that are going to keep them safe and what they can't. Because the federal government has their hands in so many different areas, it's hard to know where you can and where you can't go and what you can and you can't do without being controlled or getting arrested um, are just small little things, you know. I think we all watched or saw in our history books about having segregated sections on eating um, and on the bus, and we all know those stories. But there's so many other stories of black people going into restaurants and people, you know, upcharging them and then getting arrested when they're not going to be able to, you know, pay for it or just paying the amount that it says on the menu and so getting arrested because they didn't pay what the owner says that they're going to charge them because they're blacks so are going to get upcharged. You know, we don't hear those kinds of stories. Um, we hear the same ones over and over and over again, but I've never really heard anything like that before. Um, another thing that I have learned that has allowed me to not like understand, like when it comes to monuments, um, and things like that. I mean, I went to Wade Hampton High School. Wade Hampton is the name of a general, um, you know, during the Civil War period. And so there's been a lot of conversation about changing the name of that school um, and getting rid of monuments and things like that. But being able to learn more about where some monuments came from and the stories behind them has also been um, super important for me to just understand the difference in how rich white people have had a hold on a lot of history because they were the only ones that could sustain it. And a lot of monuments are a way to recognize and to see that. So I had heard about the Hamburg Massacre when I was probably in high school, I believe. Um, the Hamburg Massacre was basically like, for me, local, you know, from South Carolina, if you're from South Carolina in the state, um, the monument, the Meriwether Monument that we're going to talk about is in North Augusta. And so for me, that's close enough to where it's like, you know, that's home for me. Um, but getting to learn about the Hamburg Massacre and the Meriwether Monument um, and just the history behind it allowed me to kind of understand better about why um, there is so much conversation going on about monuments, not only about, you know, Civil War generals and Confederate monuments but also just the um how white history can progress faster and can be more consistent um and have be more steadfast because of monuments like this so basically the story behind the hamburg massacre um was there was a black militia that was created instilled and sent out by the government you know they're employed by the government to um protect their community and you know they are armed and you know again they are employed by the government so they're allowed to be there so there are these um black militias that are walking communities and protecting their people um and they're there they're supposed to be there and there's kind of an unsaid not like a rule but like their black people would move out of the way when white people were going around the sidewalk in fear there's obviously this fear of man there's continuous tension um in the community especially after they're freed um and so these militias have been around for years um and these kind of like this mob versus militia 
idea pops up over and over again because there are these mobs of white men who are terrorizing um, these black militias and their communities because, you know, they're armed and they just constantly terrorize and threaten them and their communities because that's just how it happens. It's a repetitive um, thing that happens over and over again, especially um, during this time period. Um, this is in the 1870s, so this is, like, very new, very fresh. But this one particular story, there is a black militia, you know, walking through town, and how the story um, is told or how it's been written is basically this black militia, again, you know, funded and employed by the government, instilled by the government, is walking on the sidewalk, and apparently, you know, there's this group of white men walking towards them, and the militia does not move out of the way completely for them on the sidewalk, and so they have to kind of go, the white men have to go around the militia, um, and that, in turn, creates a dispute, creates an argument, and then both groups get in trouble, they have to go to court, and so they have a court date set, um, so this court date is about four days later, um, the white group of men show up, um, the mob shows up to the court, the black militia does not show up to court because they know that they're going to get killed if they do, and so they go and they hide, um, in a building, you know, where they store their guns, it's their building, um, where they reside, so they hide there, um, the white mom gets very upset that they don't show up to their court date, um, so they go and they hunt these men down, and they kill all of them, they come and they find them in their building where they store their arms, they come and they find them, they chase them down into the woods, um, they kill them, and in the crossfire of that, um, a white man was killed, um, Thomas, I think it's, I can't remember his name, but it's Thomas Merriweather. Um, He was killed, and it's not, I don't think there was ever a defined moment if he was part of the mob or if he was killed in the crossfire, whatever it was, Um, but he was a white man, and so all of these, the full black militia is completely murdered and massacred um, and hunted down by these white men, Um, but today in North Augusta, there is a monument, there's a Merriweather Monument, that stands for Meriwether, who is one of the white men that was killed. And the discussion behind this is, like, there is this balance between, like, his life mattered. Meriwether's life mattered. Um, his family still experienced loss. We're not saying that his life doesn't matter. But at the same time, um, that monument was put up, you know, by his family. It was funded by his family, and it's there to commemorate him. Um, and there's nothing to commemorate the black militia um that was hunted down and was murdered you know for protecting their community um the thing here that is important to realize is like there was no way for black americans to like fund monuments like this and to retain and restore their history because they couldn't simply, they simply could not afford it. You know, um, rich white Americans can build monuments like this and have them in place and have them stay for years on end because they own this land, they own these places. And so that allows for their history to remain unchanged. When that monument is put in place, you know, that story with the monument is put in place. Um, there is another monument, not monument, but, um, kind of like a historical marker in the same area for the Hamburg Massacre where it kind of just like remembers um, 
all the victims of that white terrorist group and that white terrorist um, massacre. But even that in of itself, like that historical marker needs reformation because it doesn't even, you know, tell the full story. Um, so that in of itself has allowed for me to see how there needs to be, um, there needs to be gaps filled in history, especially black history, because there's so much not being told and not just monuments, you know, but books and education, um, do have a lot of gaps when it comes to black historical struggle, because there's so many things that we just like don't hear about that we don't learn about. And there really is this huge focus, um, on successes when we're not really seeing the reality you know um the emancipation proclamation 13th amendment are huge successes they are huge but the emancipation proclamation you know there are three parts to it It abolishes slavery yes um defines citizenship and establishes the right to vote all three of those things happened and are extremely important however that the struggle for those three things did not stop. They were given legally in this proclamation, but when it comes to the federal gov- government, day in and day out living in white America, um, those freedoms were not given open-handedly. Black people had to fight for them and still had to fight for them. Um, while people were considered freed people, there were still laws and regulations that have not allowed them and did not allow them to be free. Um, to gain citizenship, even though citizenship was supposed to be granted, like still a struggle to get having the right to vote even voting um still was extremely difficult um and there's this constant fight between you know do we move up north do we stay down south if we move up north there's no guarantee of safety there's no guarantee of jobs there's no guarantee of getting to stay with my family um years and years and years after um the civil war there's this continuous struggle so in the lieu of that today thinking of that today realizing that like black america when it comes to freedom when it comes to establishing a home in america are far behind um white americans and it's just the truth i think that it's really hard um to you have to be able to dig and educate yourself to realize these things and to want change and know that there is a struggle and there's a reason why these conversations are still happening um and it's important to realize that and talk about it because, again, in order to love, like, our black brothers and sisters, we need to understand that this struggle um, not only stays in the past in black history, like, learning about black history and realizing the ramifications that it has today and the effects that it has on our education and what that looks like in our government have been important to me to understand, like, what that looks like today, Um because there are still incongruencies today and there are still effects that linger today. Um, so I just wanted to talk about that because even just like the three things that I touched on today when it comes to just what I have learned just in the few short weeks that I have been in this class have completely altered and changed what the U.S. history in general looks like to me and knowing how much... Um, even before black Americans were free, before they even were allowed to be considered Americans or have citizenship, how much they did for our country um, should be acknowledged and understood and allows for us to look at U.S. history as a whole um, and not in like the small pieces 
um, that are important and big to us today. There's so much in the middle and in the gaps that are important to be able to see our history as a whole. So I hope maybe you learned something from this today um, that encourages you to kind of have different, more loving conversations about what that looks like today, like for our black brothers and sisters um, and whatever you see in the like in the newsroom that looks like like this is no longer this is not a political conversation this is about being able to love other people um if you are a christian or non-christian this is just loving like other people in our country being, being able to love other people well um and when it comes down to it like i think we all know 2020 was hard 2021 has been just as hard you know things life is not gonna continue um to remain unchallenged but being able to educate ourselves and learn more about each other allows us to love each other better so if you don't get anything from what i said previously maybe you can take that away but i love you guys um y'all know i love talking to y'all i'm just so excited that i get to be able to use the podcast that i love to get to talk about other things that are super important to me um and i can't wait to talk to you guys soon and as always i'm caroline Grace.